Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. In 1973, a 26-year-old director by the name of Steven Spielberg was hired. He was hired to make a movie based on Peter Benchley's novel about shark attacks. The novel was called Jaws. The movie was so scary that even to this day, Millions of Americans panic when they get wind that a shark might be present at a beach area. Persistent shark phobia actually keeps more people away from the beach than we can imagine. But a recent article in Foreign Policy magazine claims that on average... Less than one American dies each year from a shark attack. Less than one. So just in case you really need something else to worry about, let's compare the amount of shark deaths in the United States per year to the list of some items that are more likely than a shark to cause your death while living in the United States. Trampolines. I remember when I told, or my wife told her mother that we were getting the kids a trampoline for Christmas, and the ER nurse in her exploded. Trampolines actually account for an average of 1.1 deaths per year. Roller coasters, they take 1.15 lives per year. Freestanding Kitchen range top tip overs. Freestanding kitchen range top tip overs. 1.31 deaths per year. Vending machines. This was surprising to me. Vending machines account for 2.06 deaths per year in the United States of America. An article states that so if those high fat snacks don't take your life prematurely, rock or tilt that machine while looking for a freebie and you'll be sleeping with the Pepperidge Farm goldfishes. Riding lawnmowers actually take 5.22 lives per year. Fireworks, here we are right around 4th of July, cause 6.6 deaths per year. The, the article stated that although technically those death were, deaths were caused more by carelessness or impatient people who peered over into the PVC piping because the fireworks didn't seem to be igniting quick enough. Skydiving accidents actually account for 21.2 deaths per year. And lastly accounting for 26.44 deaths per year, getting crushed by furniture causes 26.44 deaths per year. I share this with you because we've been talking about protection. And, and, and some of this is quite amazing. I mean, how many of you all 
would worry more about a shark than you would about a piece of furniture. But we've been talking about protection. And when it gets down to it, if we really researched all the things that can accidentally happen in the life of an individual, then we could find lists upon lists of things to worry about. We we could spend our entire lives in fear of what might cause us injury or death. And don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we just do things that are careless. But if we really thought about it, if, if you took every email forward that you are sent or everything that comes across the television news stations or the newspapers about this happening or this happening, we could just spend our whole lives worrying about what might cause us injury. Because we live in a fallen world where disease, disaster, and accidents happen, God gives us peace. He gives us peace when he promises his protection. The past few weeks we've been working our way through Psalm 91 with this series title in mind, The Promise of His Protection. And we took a hiatus last week. I want us to to go back to our series, and I want us to look back at Psalm 91, and we're going to focus on verses 9 through 13 this morning with this title in mind, the means of his protection. But I want us to look at the the entire chapter, and it's, it's not a long chapter. And so let's go back for context purposes in verse 1 of Psalm 91. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. As I stated before, I want us to examine... Verses 9 through 13 with this title in mind, the means 
of His protection. And as we look at these specific verses in Psalm 91, there are two principles that I think we need to understand. Two principles that we can take and apply to our lives. We can apply to those fears that we have about what might happen or what might not happen. And the first principle is this. There is a condition to this promise. There is a condition to this promise. Before we examine the condition, let's think for a minute about the promise that's made. Look at verse 10. Actually, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. And in verse 10 is the, the promise. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. What a promise. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. Now just as before, the the psalmist gives us a promise of God's protection that uses earthly physical fears to illustrate the protection of the most important part of our lives. If you've been here during this series, you know. You know that we have a physical aspect of our life and we have a spiritual aspect of our lives. And that God is more concerned with what? The most important part. What's the most important part? It's not the physical. Why? Because the physical is temporary. Every single one of us, unless Christ comes back, will experience physical death. But Jesus came to save what? Our soul. He came to save our spiritual lives. And so the psalmist is using physical fears, the fear of a plague, to illustrate the protection of our spiritual selves, our spiritual lives. And one thing I think we desperately need to comprehend is that there is great evil in this world. That Satan and his demonic cohort are real and have the power to wreak havoc in the physical and spiritual realm. But what does God give us in this psalm? He gives us a promise. A promise to protect us. He promises that no harm will come to our souls. He promises to shield us from the ways and the wiles of the devil. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is instructing the disciples about fear of the Lord. You've heard of this concept of fearing the Lord. It's something that we don't often focus on, but Jesus tells the disciples in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 10, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Don't fear those who are able to do you physical damage but cannot touch your soul. And then he goes on to say, rather fear him. God, who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. 
In the context of this passage, in Matthew 10, Jesus is giving instructions to the disciples about the reality about the reality of betrayal, about the reality of death, about the reality of of hatred and persecution in this life. And, And he wants the disciples, and I believe he wants all of us to understand that physical persecution and trials are a part of this life, but it isn't the physical that we should fear. It's not the physical that we should fear. The physical as I stated before, is temporary. The spiritual is eternal, and God promises in this passage to protect and preserve your soul. Now, if he said he was going to protect and preserve your physical bodies, then not a single one of us would ever die. But that's not the promise. Understand, he's using physical fears to illustrate protection of our spiritual lives. But yet, there's a condition. That's the promise. A great promise. But there's a condition to that promise. As a matter of fact, there are really several conditions, but the obvious condition is that you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, you must be sealed with the Holy Spirit to escape the clutches of Satan and the wrath of God. But the psalmist provides another condition. The condition that we dwell in the presence of God. If we want protection, if we want no harm to come to our spiritual lives, if we want the protection of God that is proclaimed in this passage of Scripture and throughout Scripture, then there's a condition. The condition that we dwell with God. That we walk in the Spirit of God rather than in the flesh. Verse 9 is, in essence, a repeat of verse 1 in this chapter. And anything that is repeated in the Bible should attract our attention. So look with me back at the passage. Psalm 91, verse 1. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High. So the one who is protected, who is guarded by God, dwells. In the shadow of the Almighty. Now, if you're dwelling in the shadow of something, you're pretty close to that thing, aren't you? I mean, you you got to be close to it. I was driving from South Georgia back up home uh, July the 4th weekend, and I I passed a whole lot of uh, farms. And there was this one particular farm... And it was a dairy farm, and we were passing by. And I noticed that out in this pasture, there wasn't but but a couple of small trees. And and I noticed that that all of the cows were under these trees. And at first I thought, well, they're feeding them right under the trees. And I got a little closer, and I said, no. 
What those cows are doing is trying to get in the shade. The same thing I would be doing if I were in that pasture. The reality is this. If you're dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, you're close to God. And so you can't dwell in the shadow of the Almighty and be running from God. You can't dwell in the shadow of the Almighty and have drifted and drifted away from God. And if you're not dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, then this promise of protection doesn't apply to you. There's a condition. Look at verse 9. That's the passage we're on, but, but I want you to see. Verse 1 and verse 9 essentially are the same. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. Your dwelling place, the place where you live. In other words, you live in the presence of God. You live with Him. You know, the the backslidden believer has long been a mystery in the history of Christianity. How does someone who has surrendered their life to Christ live their life and act like one who is lost? How does that happen? The one thing that all of us know as believers is this, that we have disobeyed God. There are times in our Christian life where God tells us to go this way and do this, and we don't do it. There are times that that we wander away, but most of the time believers repent of their wandering, and they return to fellowship with God. I think it's of my honest opinion That in Psalm 91, the psalmist seems to allow for the possibility that the readers of this psalm know God, but are not walking with Him presently. That that maybe this psalm about the protection of God is intended for someone to hear that has wandered long away from the shadows, long away from God's presence. And I believe that the psalmist is making a call. I think he's making a call. He's making a call to backslidden believers. I believe he's making a call to carnal Christians. I believe he's making a call to unfaithful followers of Christ. And I think he's saying, listen, all those great fears that you have in life are there Because you have wandered away. Because you're not in the presence of God. And I believe that this promise of this spiritual protection is a call. It's a call to those who are wandering in the wilderness. It's a call for those who have been out of God's presence for so long that they've become paralyzed by the fears of the world. And the psalmist says, listen. Come back home. If the fears are eating you alive, come back home. Come home so you can rest. So you can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Come home and you can dwell. 
You can dwell in the presence of God. Come home and no harm will come to you. Come home and God will protect you. If you stay out there, if you stay out there outside of God's protection, outside of God's will, in disobedience with God, if you stay in the flesh, if you stay in sin, you'll be gone a whole lot longer than you thought you would. You'll go a lot farther than you intended. And when the troubles come, because they will, you won't have a refuge. You'll be too far to run to Him. There is a condition. There's a promise. A promise of God's protection, but it's obvious that there is a condition. That's the first principle. The other principle is this. You are never alone. You are never alone. Look at verses 11 and 12. After the condition and the promise, the psalmist writes, For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you. They, the angels, will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then look at verse 13 also. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. If you dwell in the presence of God, you are never alone. If you are walking with God, you are never alone. If you are in the will of God, you are never, ever, ever alone. And it's not just that God's presence is with you. Not just that the Holy Spirit of God is living within you. There is an army of angels that are at God's command to give you protection. To give you peace, to give you comfort, to give you protection. Now, there's a concept that is, that is out there and it's been out there in the world for, for many years. It's the concept of a, of a guardian angel. It's been around for years and it has been misused, it has been misunderstood. But here is the reality. For those that dwell In the presence of God, you don't just have a guardian angel, but the psalmist points out that God has a legion of angels at his command, and their joy, their purpose, is to protect you and me. It's not just one guardian angel. It's all of God's angels. And that's their purpose. You know why that's their purpose? Because your soul is so important that God sent his one and only son to this earth to suffer and die. You see, the the problem with guardian angels and angels, you know, in general, is that people have come to worship angels. But, But God created angels to protect us, to protect the children of God. 
They aren't to be worshipped. God's to be worshipped. We worship Him because He created beings, spiritual beings, to go into battle for us. You are never, ever alone. As humans, we tend to focus on the, the difficulties of our past. You know, it's interesting that, that trauma has a way of burning images and feelings into our, our memories, but I wonder. And I don't know if you've wondered this. Maybe you have. I, I wonder. I just wonder when we get to heaven, will we get to see all of the trauma, all of the trials, and all of the, the, the troubles that we were actually protected from? You know, we remember the difficult times. But, you know, we, we don't even know the times that could have been difficult that we were protected from. If we could just see, if we could just see with spiritual eyes all the danger and all the trauma that we've been protected from by God and His angels, we might have a different perspective about the trauma and the difficulties that we faced. Some of you may have watched the, the movie Ice Age. <clears throat> In Ice Age, the, there's this uh, particular one. It's called Continental Drift. And, and the film has a trio of people. Of, excuse me, not people. A trio of animals. Uh, one is Manny the, the woolly mammoth. you got Sid the sloth and Diego the saber-toothed cat. And in this movie, they're embarking on this epic quest after a disaster sets the entire continent adrift. Uh, captured by the cruel pirates, Captain Gut and his crew, Manny, Sid, and Diego managed to escape. But, but in this movie, the, the pirates continue to hunt them down, threatening revenge. And meanwhile, as, as this trio is fighting for their lives and trying to save the world from disaster... There are two other characters that come in to play. Crash and Eddie. These are two shallow escapists, escape artists, and they're possums. And it's interesting because they're too busy having fun to be concerned about the world's problems. That's, in, that's, that's a key. They're too busy having fun to be concerned about the world's problems. In one scene, Crash and Eddie are perched atop a tree waiting for the shifting mountain to push against the base of the tree so that they could be catapulted through the air. The, the world's falling apart for them, and they're, they're jumping up and just having a good time. Wait, wait, wait for it, Eddie says to Crash, flying through the air, laughing as he crash-landed on, on the faces at the feet of another animal called Lewis the Molehog. That was awesome, says Eddie, as they leapt to their feet. Can I ask you guys something? Lewis asks. How are you both so happy? Let me ask the question again. How are you both so happy? Doesn't it weigh on you that the world might be ending? And Crash asks Eddie, can I tell him our secret. And, and permission is granted, and so Eddie motions for Lewis and says, come here, 
Come here. Lewis leans in, and Eddie gives him the secret. The secret to attaining personal happiness while the world hangs in the balance. And he says these words. We're very stupid. The world's falling apart around them. And they're just having a grand time. What's their secret? We're just stupid. Interesting, interesting, interesting point. I wonder, I just wonder, if that little scene in that made-up movie can apply to us. We're going around our life, living it, only really concerned about the troubles and the trials that are behind us and maybe before us. And all those trials, mainly, probably 99%, are physical. They're regarding to this physical life that is temporary. And yet, there is a spiritual warfare that's going on. And we're just ignorant of it. I won't call you stupid because that's sort of a harsh word, but that's what that's how the scene played out. Are we like Crash and Eddie? Are we ignorant to the reality that there is a greater war going on around us? Ephesians six twelve, Paul writes this. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. In the late 1980s, a man by the name of Frank Peretti wrote a novel called This Present Darkness. And he wrote a a second one called Piercing the Darkness. New York Times bestseller. And in those two novels, Frank Peretti tried to wake up America to the reality of spiritual warfare, to the reality that there are legions, there are armies of angels that are battling Satan and his demons over your soul and my soul. And we're just down here worried about temporary things. Are we ignorant or not? Well, instead of being ignorant about the spiritual battle that takes place every single day, it's my prayer that all of us, you and I, should take comfort in the fact that we're not alone. We are not alone as we walk through this life As we experience the landmines that await, we can be confident that the promise of God's protection is there. It's there for those who dwell with God. And He will give His angels orders concerning you and I to protect us in all of our ways. Now as we end today... 
I want you to consider something. I want you to consider how the concept of God's protection applies to your life. I want you to consider that maybe, just maybe, we've allowed the ways and the means of the devil to to sort of hinder our understanding of what's important in this life and what God promises to protect us from. I don't know whether your view of of protection and God's protection that's promised in his word, I, I don't know how much of your view of that is influenced by the world's culture, the the perspective of the world, and how much of it is is influenced by God's holy word. But I want you to consider. I want you to consider whether you and I, whether we have a priority problem, whether we place more priority on the things of this world rather than the things of God. And maybe that hinders our ability to understand the true concept of God's protection. I want you to ask yourself some of those questions and allow God to to change your heart, to change your life. I know I would much rather, as a human being, as a fleshly, sinful human being, I would much rather be able to open this Bible and say that God's Word says I'll never experience pain in this life. I would much rather have it be that way. But that's not what God's Word says. And so we have to question whether we're believing things according to the way we think or we're believing things according to what God's Word says. So that's my encouragement to you today. I hope it's God's Word's encouragement to you. God's promises are faithful. They're there. This one has a condition to it. Are you meeting the condition? Am I meeting the condition? Are we meeting the condition? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to you for your word and for its truth. We understand that that when we look at your word, that we view it from from a perspective of our own being. And although... Many have placed their full faith and trust in you and have become a new creation. We know that the flesh is still there. We still have that sinful nature, that propensity to sin. We have the power through the blood of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit to to not succumb to that nature. But it's always there. As Paul says in his letter to the Romans, 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We pray, God, that you would help us and give us the, the wisdom, give us the, the peace and the strength to be able to rest in your promise of protection. To, and we can rest in that only when we value what you value. When we concern ourselves with what you are concerned with. When we love what you love and when we hate what you hate. So, Lord, give us that grace and that mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.